Hilariously, she also would pretend to be her own manager named Edward, um, <laughs> like maintain a different email so that Aquafina or Nora could say, oh, yeah, can you call my manager Edward about that? <laughs> and then Edward would email back to tell people. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lainey. I am the editor of LaineyGossip.com. I'm a talk show host in Canada and also an entertainment reporter. And um, this is going to really annoy Duanna, but my project for this month is introducing smoothies into my life. <laughs> I'm Duanna Taha. I am a screenwriter and producer, and I am not going to dignify that with a response. This week, we are diving into some name therapy for a celebrity that you might be surprised would need it. Aquafina is Nora from Queens. Also... We get into chemistry on set with actors, the work that goes into developing it on camera and off. It's not just about sex, but it's definitely exciting. We will find out your perfect pairings and tell you some of ours. This is Show Your Work. All right, so I think that you mentioned something to me over text, me and another friend. And I'm pretty sure other people have the same question. I don't think we've ever talked about Dancing with the Stars on Show Your Work, <laughs> but... I, I assumed that that was part of my contract, <laughs> was that we would never. However, uh, Dancing with the Stars did surprise you by involving a person that you are interested in. And many of us were, because the new season... Right. So actually, that's the mask dancer. Um, oh. oh, not Dancing with the Stars. Okay, the masked dancer. See, I fucked it up. Right. In okay, so reality you know. show involving people performing, semi-famous or very famous people performing and being judged. Um, so yes, Elizabeth Smart was revealed to be one of the masked dancers. And I wish people, you could see Duanna's face right now because you were like, I'm sorry, what now? Uh, yes. Because here's why. Um, if you haven't watched The Masked Dancer or its predecessor, The Masked Singer, uh, the idea is, which I think was all born of, you know, a Ryan Reynolds clip from 2018, right? Having been on, I think, the Korean version. The idea is people perform in masks and they only reveal one person, celebrity, notable per week, right? Right. Meanwhile, there's a panel of judges who are trying to guess who it is based on clues that they're acquiring. I think people week. know what the concept of the show is, Joanna. Well, the, the part of the, the cumulative part was news to me. Okay. Is what I'm saying. Okay. And the clue part was news to me. Yeah. So 
Elizabeth Smart was revealed to be the mom. So many questions, but listen, like this could be a whole show. What I want to narrow down and focus on is what you were sharing with our chat group, which is who is the person in the brainstorm room who was going through a list of possible candidates to compete on The Masked Dancer and was like, what about Elizabeth Smart? Yeah. yeah. And who then had to pitch it to their higher ups. Because again, this is why I'm emphasizing the clue part. What do most people know about Elizabeth Smart? Like, let me be clear here. The fact that Elizabeth Smart chose to do this, fucking A, may she do whatever the fuck she wants in every possible arena. I'm thinking about the person who said, yeah, you know, and for clues we'll include, oh, well, no, that clue might be weird. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't say. No, I mean, we'll say she's an author and an activist which she is, I I can't imagine that moment. Me neither. And yet, I think that the reason why this is so interesting and why I wanted to open the show, our first of 2021, like this, it is our first of 2021, right? Maybe. No, maybe not. (laughs) blending together. Anyway, um, is because I like the energy of like a, a, a big swing like that. If you are the producer, the casting director, to go outside and not to assume, right? Like, I think most of us would be a little reticent in that room if someone brought up, hey, what about putting Elizabeth Smart in a mask, concealing her identity? Think about mm-hmm. the history there. And that's all it's, the implications, key, right? Or could be. And then giving clues. What would our clue, as you mentioned, and then kind of you know, still swinging for it and not assuming that Elizabeth Smart would say no. Well, that's the other amazing part. Right? The person who had the balls to approach her people uh, and say, hey, we have this idea. Um, If she, in fact, has people. If she, in fact, has people, which probably, because she's written a book, so you could at least get to her through the publisher, right? Right. But but publishers, you, you have some experience with publishers. I have some experience with publishers. They're not real super accustomed to receiving requests for their authors to appear <laughs> on The Masked Dancer. Um, anyway, I think that what I liked about it is, you know, oftentimes, and I catch myself doing this, and I catch other people around me doing this, lead with no. No, that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I will I will say, and I think you and I can both agree, if we, you and I were in that room, maybe our first, like, you know, reaction would have been to say no, would have been like, oh, this is uncomfortable. How do we know? And to assume that it would be insulting to somebody like Elizabeth Smart um, to receive such a request and invitation. And whoever it is that greenlit that and signed off on it and, like, you know, made made it possible for the then invitation to be sent out. I mean, that is, to me, that's the energy I want for 2021. Okay. I really appreciate this reframe. Well done on that because I did not know that we were going to get here. But yes, for sure, you have to take big swings. 
and not just take big swings hoping that they're going to all hit. You have to take big swings knowing some of them are going to fail. If you wait around to take your big swing until you're sure it's going to be a sure thing, somebody else is going to get there before you. So with that in mind, be the person who suggested Elizabeth Smart (laughs) over probably lots and lots of objections and discomfort and be that person, hopefully, who gets surprised and surprises everybody else when Elizabeth Smart says yes. And when somebody says, what the hell are you doing? You say, Lainey told me to. <laughs> That's, I want you to take that energy with you, too. And once again, good on, uh, like, fucking good on Elizabeth Smart, man. Like, oh my you God. can do all May the things. she, whatever the fuck she Experience wants. Experience like, it. Do it. If she wants to transition into being Dr. Pimple Popper's intern, uh, if she has, like, I don't know, a hairbrush influencer career coming up, whatever, by all means. All right. So our first main story, a story I pitched to you, and it's because I really, really want to know what you have to say about this person and her name or names. Mm Mm-hmm. Aquafina covers the new issue of Harper's Bazaar. Um, I mean, we all know Aquafina and the meteoric three years or so that she has had. But the and really the 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 piece is about the meteoric three years that she has had to have such quick success and to really wrestle with identity, how success informs your identity, changes your identity. Um, maybe, I don't know, gives you reason to challenge your own identity. So Aquafina is also Nora Lum. And there's a significant, uh, there's a significant part of this piece, this interview, um, in which Nora slash Aquafina talks about the duality of both identities, so to speak. And then like, you know, I guess, debates internally which one to be going forward. And since you are the name therapist, I thought this was really an interesting place to intersect how we make decisions about who we present ourselves to be um, in our professional lives and when it's time to present ourselves differently. I mean, I yeah, it's so interesting because actually we have seen this play out before, right? Uh, if I throw a few stage names at you, uh, you will know to varying degrees uh, the actual legal name of the person, right? Eminem? Marshall Mathers. Right. Jay-Z? Sean Carter. Right. Uh, Retta? Oh, Retta? I I don't know. Retta is Marietta Sirleaf, and I only know this because I read her book. Um, who else, maybe? Um, Missy Elliott, I guess? Uh, yeah. Is she Melissa? I actually don't know the answer. Yeah, she's Melissa. Like, <laughs> Right. Um, and I, the reason we know this is because sooner or later in lots of people who have appeared on the scene with uh, a pseudonym, with a stage name, with a kind of constructed identity that is 
not, you know, that is an identity, then they inevitably say, oh, but also I am this other thing. And all, often to kind of prove that they are this other thing, they uh, they do that other thing under their own name, mm. right? Like to distinguish between them. Um, I couldn't swear to this, but if we talk about the person currently known as as Puffy, what is he these days? I think he's still Diddy. Or is he Puffy? Remember that he was doing some acting for a while, right? right? And I believe he was credited in his film projects as Sean Combs, right? right? So like P. Diddy is having all white parties on a yacht, but Sean Combs is acting in movies. Right. Um, So this kind of thing of like I have to navigate my identity or marry my two names together isn't that new. What is new is the debating about it um, in in real time, yeah. as in this article, right? The last time we sort of touched around something like this was Lady Gaga and Stephanie Germanotta mm-hmm. for Great example. A Star is Born. Because initially, when the project was announced, in the press release, they said, you know, cast in the role of Ali is Stephanie Germanotta. By the time they filmed the movie and marketed it, it was Lady Gaga all the way. And in fact, like when she won her Oscar for Best Original Song and all like in the nominations and whatnot, they, you know, nominated her as Lady Gaga and not Stephanie Germanotta. So we we talked about that, I remember. And there wasn't a public discussion though. Lady Gaga wasn't Uh, There was no interview where she talked about it. I think it was like one statement or maybe they didn't even address it. It was, point point is, it was never put out there for like consumption. Whereas Aquafina slash Nora is actively kind of, again, I keep using the word wrestling and I'm not sure if it's that severe wrestling, but it is basically like 65% of this interview to the point where Lulu Wang, her director in The Farewell, weighs in and still all this, you know, it's been a year and a half since they wrapped on the film, maybe two years, still believes, in her words, philosophically, that they should have credited Aquafina in the film as Nora Lum and not as Aquafina. Right. And that's a really interesting anecdote because that is the intersection of art and commerce, right? It's uh, Aquafina is a personality and a voice and a, you know, a bit that we all can kind of recognize at a glance, right? And Nora Lum, by like, I'm taking the words out of your mouth, uh, uh, which you took from Lulu Wong's mouth, is, you know, the thoughtful, nuanced, uh, arguably nominatable performance in The Farewell. And the idea is that they can't live together. That's what the the idea is here. And that's sort of the thesis of the piece. And, you know, if I may, we often talk about really beautifully written profiles. Uh, and I don't think this one isn't beautifully written. But towards the beginning of the piece, there's a long extended metaphor about how uh, the name Aquafina changes like slime uh, that that they're making, uh, that Aquafina slash Nora and the writer are making. And I don't think it works because I don't believe that anywhere in this piece 
is the evidence of, oh, I'm really struggling, says Aquafina, to be all the things that I want to be now that I have all these opportunities. Uh, in fact, I would argue that she kind of always had the duality of these two identities worked out. And the idea that they should blend is kind of what the the question is that's being raised. But I don't actually believe that that's what she herself is wrestling with. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I mean, and what's interesting is that everybody's going to have a certain read and interpretation, right, of of what she, where, how she really feels about it, which again is the big question mark. I read it to mean that I think eventually she wants to edge over to using Nora Lum in her acting work, but there's fear there, um, it, you know, in terms of name recognition and, you know, more people know the name Nora, I mean, more people know the name Aquafina than they do Nora Lum. Now, that was my feeling. And clearly yours wasn't. I think my feeling was that I I don't get the impression, or maybe I'm wrong, um, you know, she talks at one point about saying, it's not my time yet to say, it's Nora now. Um, but it, it, I think what I'm getting at is it seems here like names are standing in for phases of a career. Does that make sense? Yeah. If we tie Aquafina to the early stuff, the joking, the joking stuff, uh, there's a quote here. Aquafina is still someone that comes without all the layers of anxiety. She's more confident than Nora. Um, Nora does hide behind her still, and I don't see how Nora exists in Aquafina's world yet. I don't see how I could have done this without Aquafina. It's that persona thing. And we've heard this a lot from performers before, right? You hear about, oh, so-and-so is actually very shy. They're actually very retiring. But when they put on that suit, that makeup, I don't know if the members of KISS talk about how shy they are, but like you get the idea. Um, that there is, you know, I can do this because I'm wearing a suit, essentially. Um, I think maybe what is bothering me about the kind of duality that's being set up here. And look, I can't argue with if Nora Lum wants to only be Nora Lum, it's not my business. But it seems as though there's there's an inference here that Aquafina has to go away, has to die, pardon the expression, so that Nora can live. And if she feels that way, then fair enough. But it doesn't seem that way to me. I'm quite compelled by her ability to be both, to have both those identities. I, that's exactly what I was looking for in name therapy. Um, not that Nora or Aquafina, not that they're coming to you <laughs> for name therapy, but yes, this is, thank you very much. This is, yeah, this is what was interesting to me because I was asking myself, you know, should at that point I was like career analyzing or trying to career consult for Aquafina slash Nora. And I, I just didn't know. I didn't know what the answer was. Should she at some point drop Aquafina? Should she just, you know, it's Aquafina, it's Aquafina. So what? Um, and you just crystallized it for me. Why not? Why not like be both? Why not have both at your disposal? There is somebody on the tip of my tongue 
who goes back and forth between two, and I can't quite remember. There are shades of it. Uh, you know, when Beyonce has people call her Mrs. Carter, um, or uh, you pointed out Lady Gaga and and Stephanie Germanata. There are uh, others, um, but to me, it's sort of I, I don't know why why this can't be an achievement in and of itself uh, for her to do both and be both. You know, there's an interesting uh, quote here, an interesting kind of clip from a paragraph, uh, and I have to read it, and you'll understand why. It reads, Lum was, in her estimation, quote, a bad kid, unquote. She regularly skipped class to drink or smoke weed or cigarettes. She always got caught. She was diagnosed with ADD and depression. She had a C minus average and barely graduated from high school. Quote, I was the class clown that would do things no one would ever do, unquote, she says. Yes, she went to LaGuardia, the fame school. Quote, I would raise my hand and say stupid things like the equivalent of fuck her right in the puss, unquote. So here's the thing. We have in there uh, LaGuardia, the fame school, and class clown, and uh, ADD, and C minus average. And is any of that surprising to you from the perspective of the Aquafina persona? No. Right. But all of those things were who Nora Lum was. Yeah. Right? There wasn't really an Aquafina yet. Or Aquafina was just being born. Right. And so it almost seems as though Nora of today is judging Nora of high school mm. for having been those things. Right? Yeah. I, a bad kid? Like that's a, again, it's a tiny quote uh, possibly pulled out of context. But in terms of that description, I go, mm, I don't know if it's that bad. And it got you to where you are. So it does seem to me that uh, it's it's hard to refer to her as Nora because she seems to have Nora up on a shelf. I'm just going to say this the way I would say it if we weren't on the air. It seems to me like Aquafina has this image of who she thinks Nora Lum is supposed to be and this level of achievement and goodness and like, I don't know, clarity. And even the photos uh, in this piece are all kind of lending themselves to that. Uh, and she feels like she can't be that yet. She can't be that perfect. And so being Aquafina is more comfortable because she's allowed to be a fuck up. And that's all layman's terms, but that's the real feeling that I'm getting coming off this. Do you think that, because I don't think that We've written, like, as much as I would love you to provide name therapy to Aquafina, I don't think that any decision has been made at this piece. So what I'm asking you now is, given what you've just said, do you think that at one at some point we're no longer going to go by Aquafina and it's going to be Nora Lum? No, I don't. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, if I'm right… If I'm in overstretching my bounds uh, way far here, if she has an image of Nora Lum as supposed to be more uh, perfect or good or at the top of her game um, and Aquafina as not being that, uh, do you feel like a grown-up at this point in your life? Oftentimes, no. <laughs> right. 
Um, and do you sometimes still think like someday I'll get my shit together on this level or that level or one of these days I'm going to learn yes. to do whatever? Yes. Right. I feel as though there's something about the way this is written that says, you know, she's waiting for that one of these days. One of these days I will inhabit Nora Lum fully. One of these days I will become that person. And as we all know, like waiting around for one of these days, waiting around for uh, when I'm a grown up, kind of never comes, right? It's essentially so, what she says when when she has that yeah. quote about success, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the time when you're waiting for your big break is actually the best time ever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and then and she talks later about you know is this the pinnacle of all those years of waiting? Like, uh, is this the peak or is this on the way to the peak? Kind of to, to paraphrase it. So I, I don't know. It seems as though she's using Aquafina as the catch-all for I'm not there yet. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so I don't think that we need to let that person go because certainly that's who resonated with us. It's not about... Uh, fart jokes, as she says at the end of the piece. It's about somebody who is imperfect, but worthy anyway. I do think that there's a little bit of a binary, though, that's set up here, you know, especially when you consider including Lulu Wong's quote, where clearly Lulu was not being oblique about her opinion that not only, I mean, I, listen, for the purposes of the farewell, it is 100% clear that Lulu wanted Aquafina to go by Nora Lum. It's right there. Mm -hmm. Um, And the binary that I'm talking about is, you know, business and art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I I do think that there are other people who weigh in on these decisions, you know, whether or not Aquafina considers them is another thing. But where we talk about work and celebrity – you're talking about an entire team. There's an agent. There's a manager. There's a publicist. All of them have an opinion, and you know they will share it. No, 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 no. We got to go with Aquafina. We have to put Aquafina's name on this movie. Like, Lulu basically told us that that was behind the decision-making. And the artist within Lulu and the humanist, if you will, was like, it still seems pretty bitter about that. Yeah, well, and I think it is probably, I think you hit on something really interesting there because I think it's probably a whole lot easier to put stuff on Aquafina because look, it's not, it's not a, uh, it's a stage name in a way that is clearly meant to be knowing and a wink to the audience, right? Aquafina is nobody's name. Uh, it's not like Marilyn Monroe renaming herself from Norma Jean. It's almost something and someone over there. Mm -hmm. If you're walking around doing things as an artist with your own name on them, then you can say, I don't do this. I do do that. I don't think that is for me. But I can see where if you're overwhelmed with success, if you suddenly have a team, which you never thought you would, where somebody can say, okay, Nora, I get it's not for you, but it could be for Aquafina, right? Isn't she like a little bit kind of different, kind of out there? Like, it's okay. You can still be Nora, but Aquafina can just do this thing for us. Can't she? 
um, and making that person kind of an external suit. Yeah. Um, you know, Iron Man, if you will, allows for that distinction to kind of worm in there. So maybe the move towards Nora Lum is uh, to stop letting that that wedge mm-hmm. get in, you know? But as of right now, your prediction is that we'll know Aquafina as Aquafina. Uh, for now. I'm trying to think of somebody who has completely shrugged off their name. Um, I can't think of one. What's their person, initial name? Was the person that you were thinking of the weekend and Abel Tasfeya? It wasn't, but that's a great one. Right. Um, because it's another name where the weekend is nobody's mother looks at them when they're <laughs> swaddled in a blanket and goes, I shall call you the weekend. Right. Like it's clearly a self chosen put on name. You know, what's so interesting though is there was another lesser headline this week. Um, and she must have chosen a slow news week. Uh, but you saw the the Anne Hathaway uh, news. Yes. Right? And Annie? Anne Hathaway saying, don't call me Anne. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Call me Annie. Call me Path, whatever. Um, and I will be the first to say that I always thought all the, like, people coming out of, uh, out of production with her going, oh, Annie was like this or Annie was like that were, you know, just, just implying, look how close we are. The same people, the same way people talk about Bobby De Niro. Right. 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 Um, (laughs) right. Um, but she clearly is serious about like, she hates her name. She says, call me Annie. Um, which is hard because unlike Aquafina and Nora, it's, uh, it implies greater intimacy. Uh, I think she will have less success. Put it that way. And I think Anne Hathaway is going to continue to be called Anne Hathaway, uh, unless she bills herself as Annie Hathaway going forward. Well, my question about that was like, you know, she said it in an interview where, you know, I prefer to be called Annie. By whom? Everyone? Like, that was the implication that I got. Yeah. You know, if I ever interview her again, I'm going to be like, hey, what's up, Annie? Because already that makes me feel uncomfortable. Right. But it's funny that it makes you feel uncomfortable when you live this yourself. You are one of the only people I know whose nickname is actually more for public consumption. And a sign of intimacy with you is that people actually use your full name. (laughs) Yes. In all caps, usually when you're trying to tell me something. Elaine. Right. But not just me. No, not just you. Let's be clear here. It's you go by Lainey professionally. That's what you do. But when you are meeting people, real people in your real life, you say, hey, it's Elaine. Um, or hi, I'm Elaine. I've seen you do it a thousand times. Right. What does it mean to you when somebody refers to you as Lainey versus Elaine? Oh, Duanna, are we having name therapy right now? <laughs> sure are. You walked right into it. Um, I usually, okay, there, there's, um, there are a couple of reflexes. One of those reflexes is if someone that isn't in my everyday day-to-day life who like calls me Elaine, immediately I'm like, where do I know you from? What, what in my past? High school, university, Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. like the immediate thing where then I'm racking my brain. Like, you know, did we fuck? 
um, you know, right. where we had a right. party, whatever. Um, so that's number one. Like there's a – Because they're from your pre-Laney life. Yeah. Yes? Segmentation. Right? right? Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Is, it, it might, mm-hmm. Am I doing the therapy? <laughs> We're getting there for sure. <laughs> um, and I don't know. What was the question again? <laughs> what does it – how do you feel when somebody addresses you as Elaine versus Laney? And Yeah. And then if if they aren't people from university or pre-Laney gossip, then – and they call me Elaine and it's the first time, then I'm kind of like – why are you calling what? me Elaine? <laughs> well, but you introduce yourself that way. If somebody who has met you in a Laney context uh, suddenly calls you Elaine, yes. do you feel like that's because of a sign of intimacy or have you invited them to do so or what's that look like? Well, I, as you know, and I, as I've said, I don't generally, I have stranger danger. So I very rarely introduce myself anyway. Well, but you work with hundreds of people at a time, like that's television, that's how it goes. And in those cases, yeah, I am, hi, I'm Lainey. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in non-working times, like I'll be with Yasik and he'll be like, here's, this is my wife, Elaine. Right. So if someone who's like used to call me Lainey ends up calling me Elaine, it's a little jarring. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay. Well, I'm not going back, just so you know. Like, there's no, no. there's no world. You don't get to call me Lainey anymore. I don't wish to <laughs> because that's that's like a public person. That's right. somebody else. But I think that like for Anne Hathaway, it's a, lo- it's, it's a little bit, you know, the media celebrity relationship. I have read this article having done my homework. Let's say I'm about to interview her. You, I have read that you prefer to be called Annie, but yet I'm still scared calling her Annie because, as we know, celebrities can turn on a dime and be moody, and it's like I don't want to be that person who gets thrown out of the room for calling Anne Hathaway Annie. But it also could be a great in point, right, of here's a point of intimacy. Um, you know, if I call you Annie right away, it feels like we're on such a first-name basis. Uh, and she might say, yeah. Whereas to go circle back to Aquafina, uh, because it's how I think there is an intimacy in knowing somebody by their nickname. I think we all acknowledged as soon as Aquafina came on the scene, hey, we're all kind of in on it with her nickname. And I would never call her Nora unless I was expressly invited to do so. Yeah. And, and yet, I would say less so with Aquafina, but like when we when we talk about like a the a Lady Gaga or uh, the Weekend, it's weird. Oh, it's it, it for sure. Right? It's like weird. How, it doesn't fall out of your mouth. It doesn't, you know. It, it, and there are times when 
conversationally, we say each other's names. I'll be like, no, Duanna, it's like this. And you'll be like, no, Elaine, it's like that. What am I going to do? No, The weekend, it's like this. It's fucking weird. Aquafina's, I mean, way, like, Aquafina's a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Or, I don't know, maybe you call them weak. I have no idea. (laughs) Uh, Or that's why people just resort to, to dude, right? Or things like that. This is the situation for which dude and bro and all those sort of, like, affectionate honorifics were created. Um, I was working with somebody once who shared the same name as my husband and I couldn't, I couldn't get around it to speak to him, like using his name because it just, it it was too, there was too many crossovers and similarities. And I wound up calling him bro almost (laughs) exclusively, even when he wasn't around, um, like to the point of where is bro, which, uh, I think he came to like, but, uh, but you know, our relationships with, with, yeah, it's, it's about intimacy and what liberties you want to take or not take. Okay. So does Drake introduce himself as Drake or Aubrey? I think it depends on the context. Um, I have not met him in recent history, uh, but he's like, Drake is his middle name, right? It's not like, uh, it's not like, I don't know, calling yourself, uh, I don't know what, uh, salt of salt and pepper. Um, so I feel like in certain situations, yeah, he would say, hi, I'm Drake. If he's meeting his mother's friends, obviously I think he's going to say, hi, I'm Aubrey. Uh, but I, I feel like he's never been as, uh, anxious to, or just maybe never as able to like keep those two identities separate. Right. Like with the weekend at one point, for a while, wasn't his identity kind of a secret? I oh, I don't. I'm his face was a secret for most of the year, right? So, um, like so, Sia, yes, which is a whole other story, right? Right. So yeah, I think it's about uh, yeah, it's about it's about what you give people permission to do, and maybe that's the overall thesis here. It sounds as though perhaps. Aquafina Nora feels like maybe she gave people too much permission uh, in too many parts of her identity. Uh, I think it's not an accident that her show on Comedy Central was called Aquafina is Nora from Queens. Right. That's the official name yeah. of it, right? Um, and she talks about how, you know, when everything in my life was amazing, why did I feel like I had no sense of identity? Why do I feel like nobody knows me anymore? And that's not exclusive to her. I think a lot of people with new fame mm-hmm. can feel that way. But uh, I think it's exacerbated by this issue of living inside the Aquafina suit as opposed to the Nora person that you actually feel as yourself. You know, the added layer of interesting to Aquafina slash Nora's story in terms of names is, of course, she is East Asian. She's Chinese mm-hmm. on her father's side, Korean on her mother's side. And for those of us who are from East Asian backgrounds, typically the first name we are given is from our, like, you know, cultural language. So, mm-hmm. for example, my Chinese name is Louis Yuk Fun. 
I'll say it with mm-hmm. a Cantonese accent. Lo Yuk Fun. Lo is my family name. We've talked about this a little before. Um, last year, I remember we talked about it with the cast of Parasite. And we talked about Choi Woo Shik and the fact that they never, and uh, in my experience, like lately, at least modern history, modern celebrity, Korean celebrities have, uh, like, especially those who are based out of South Korea and are, like, you know, opening up internationally, um, have stayed with their Korean name as their only name. You know, if, let's say for… You mean they don't acquire an no, English uh, exactly. name? Sure. Cho Wushik, okay. for example, who is one of the cast members um, of mm-hmm. Parasite, played the son. Park So Dam played the daughter. You know, mm-hmm. Choi is his family name. He didn't, like, he didn't go with Andrew Choi Wushik. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's I got just, you. But for a lot of other, like, previous generations, especially in my culture, which I'm most, most familiar with, Chinese culture… We added an English name to it. Right. And there are still people who, uh, you know, I spoke to people uh, in the past few years who still believe that that is almost essential uh, for East Asian people who are going to study or work or travel in the West. That's right. Um, I kind of don't agree, but it's also not totally for me to say. Um but I kind of don't agree. So I'm into Choi Wushik not acquiring. Like, what, is it, what does it do for us to have Matthew tossed in there? Nothing. That doesn't mean anything or tell totally. us anything about him. Totally. Right? Exactly. In, in Aquafina's case, she was born in America. There's like a different set of same, – same with me. I was born in Canada. So my parents, her parents in that time decided we would have Chinese names and then we would have – an English name, but the added layer that I was talking about is that then she went and gave herself another name, which is like not a Nora or a Beth or a Sarah or an Emily or a Catherine or a Jane. It was a completely made up name. Like she is the only Aquafina, which I think is super interesting on that level as well, that professionally she dis- discarded the, I don't know, the the immigrant way, which was Nora Lum, the immigrant name, or at least the um, the name that her immigrant parents gave their American child, and went even a like and didn't go back to the cultural name, but even went beyond that and went with like a much more aggressively modern like identity. Yeah, except I don't think she ever expected it to be an identity. Right? She was doing stuff under the name Aquafina, one assumes, mm-hmm. partly so that Nora had plausible deniability. But that's the happy accident. Yeah. Um, hilariously, she also would pretend to be her own manager named Edward, um, <laughs> like maintain a different email so that Aquafina or Nora could say, Oh, yeah, can you call my manager Edward about that? <laughs> and then Edward would email back to tell people. I mean, look, this is the thing. Names continue to evolve and change and do what you need from them. And yeah, I think we should think of them as wardrobes to a certain extent to be used when we need them and uh, modified or MacGyvered uh, as your needs change. 
Uh, but I kind of think it's great that maybe one name does not encompass everything that one person wants to be. So I sent you this article because, as with most of the articles I send you, uh, I felt like it was the kind of thing I scream down the phone uh, at you, but somebody had actually gone ahead and typed it up. Uh, and uh, I do that quite often. Ask me about the one I sent Kathleen today. But uh, this is an article from The Hollywood Reporter about casting directors from Never Have I Ever, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, Pea Valley, and more talking about curating chemistry between co-stars. And I feel like this is super important because uh, it, there are so many shows, you know, when shows get on the air for a week or two weeks and then immediately get canceled. Yeah. I feel like sometimes if there are shows where the show maybe needs work, it's kind of bad, it's not working, but there's something happening, there's some chemistry sizzling, it all kind of knocks through the roof and you're like, yeah, no, I just want to keep watching those people together no matter what they're doing. Yep. Famously, that was Friends, right? Yep. Um, was the chemistry was so good. Um, so I wanted to get your take on this piece and on some of the examples that they cited. Okay. Um, Never Have I Ever is the big one, right? Yep. They talk about how... Uh, the whole series had to revolve around the Davy character. Yeah. And of course, we are contractually obligated as Canadians to say um, that Maitreyi Ramakrishnan is from Toronto, from suburban Toronto, uh, and she got the role. And then they can build around her a family that really feels real, right? right? Um, a mother and a sister who you believe would play off her. And also that you know, a never-before-been-on-TV actor can can vibe mm -hmm. with. Um, so I think that one's a gimme in terms of you can't have Never Have I Ever without Dave. Yes. Right? Yeah. What did you think about the uh, the boys when they were writing about the the chemistry with the boys, with uh, the, the big crush on Paxton Hall Yoshida uh, versus her classmate Ben Gross? All right. So my thought process was um, in combination with the word, the use of the word curate in the title, curating chemistry. Uh -huh. When I was reading that and I was trying to understand how they actively work on that chemistry, it reminded uh -huh. me of all the conversations that you and I have had about writing in general, where uh -huh. it's been romanticized that just flows out. Inspiration just comes. And that right. you don't like sit there and like grind it out because that's mm -hmm. not romantic. And so when we talk about chemistry between actors on set and in a story and on a show, oftentimes it has been romanticized. They were cast and they did like, a, you know, a, a screen test together. And immediately we thought that there was magic. Um, and there's been legends and legends, right? Legendary stories about auditions and screen tests and this kind of spark happens and they don't get into what I think was so interesting to me in this, 
which was like how many people are involved in other like developing that chemistry. It's more than just two people. I don't know if that was the answer you were looking for, Duanna, but that is where my mind was. No, I mean, it's absolutely more than those two people. And I think it's people fighting for those people, right? It's fighting for those situations. I will say this. I will say that thing of, oh, we got those two people on screen and there was such chemistry is I have seen that happen uh, in what seem like incidental scenes that they just crackle, which is another kind of like industry like Mm -hmm. term that seems like it's a bit cheesy. Oh, it crackled. But you can see it happening. Like everybody in the room is suddenly riveted, even if these two characters are just talking about, I don't know, dropping off a package, right? Right. And you want to see more of that. But then it's about having to fight for that, having to engineer those situations into place. So either writing more scenes for those people as uh, in Never Have I Ever, they talked about how Davy had so much chemistry with Ben that they wound up writing more of those scenes, or about making maybe the unpopular casting choice. You know, to me, the kind of gold standard story uh, for that one is um, Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze in Dirty Dancing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because, you know, famously, they hated each other. They couldn't get along. They had a terrible time on the last project they were on. Um, but they have chemistry anyway, right? Yeah. And that almost improbable part is what makes the whole movie work. Like you're going, why is he wasting his time with this kid? And why is she like, sure, she's chasing around this hot guy, but there are other hot guys who won't treat her like shit. But it's because of that chemistry and not just like sexual bed chemistry, but like you want to see them on screen together. Right. Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams, that was another famous story too. I mean, I think that their screen test together is on YouTube. Like I'm pretty sure lots of people have seen it, but very famously they hated each other. Right. And they've talked about it, but that team realized that whatever, like they might hate each other, but they still crackle. There's something electric happening here. And it's interesting that you bring that up because the other thing I always think about with The Notebook is James Marsden, um, who is like, he's so likable. He's so perfectly affable. In that movie, in um, in Westworld yeah. is what's coming to mind in probably 98,000 different rom-coms. But maybe because he's so likable you never like, oh my God, he's burning up the screen with chemistry, right? It's not, um, so he's never become somebody where you're like, oh, I need to see him with somebody or with so-and-so. So that's what's kind of interesting to me is the, the times when it's like, it should be great. Everybody should like this person, but nobody cares, right? Or chemistry can do things that uh, that you don't like. For example, I love uh, as hard as it is to watch Get Out over and over again. Um, there are two key elements of chemistry in that movie to me. Number one, uh, Daniel Kaluuya has some chemistry with Allison Williams. Yes. They have like a rat-a-tat back and forth yeah. together, right? Which you buy. He also has really good chemistry with Lil Rel, um, which allows you to like, 
almost have a, a comfort in those scenes. Like you almost relax into what you know is going to be a terrifying, tense movie because of the chemistry in those scenes that allows you to kind of chill out and relax there, right? I agree. I also think like um, it applies to more than just acting. You know, I have been like, I have participated in auditions myself, um, not necessarily for scripted programming, but for non-scripted programming. And there is definitely a chemistry test to test out hosts, for example. And uh -huh, uh -huh. so for sure, there's a crackle in certain moments. But you risk, to your point in all this, I think, you risk the crackle dissipating if the community and the team don't do the work to really give you, like, the garden or the, the room to keep the crackle going. And that means producers, that's writers, that's – it's all of that. It, it means that everybody else has to manufacture a, a set of conditions where the crackle can occur. Right. Um, and to get behind it, even if it doesn't, if it doesn't add up to that, um, here's a, I'm going to do something that you should never, ever do ever. And that is, uh, give an example from something I haven't seen, but stay with me. Uh, one of the examples that they cite in this piece is Perry Mason, the new HBO remake. Uh, so it stars Matthew Reese, and they say, once you have Matthew Reese, you want to make sure whoever's opposite isn't wiped off the screen. Oftentimes, you have to stay on your leading guy because the other actors can't hold their own. And A, I've seen that happen, and B, um, I'm obsessed with Matthew Reese and famously had so much chemistry with Carrie Russell on The Americans that they actually went ahead and got married uh, for all intents and purposes. Um, but what's interesting to me is then they uh, they cast Tatiana Maslany. Mm -hmm. um, and she plays a nun in that show. Uh, and I haven't seen the show. But to me, you would be inclined to go, well, cast her as the love interest. Like, have them be in a situation where they can generate some stuff here. Uh, but it takes a bolder choice to go, no, actually, let's have her over here as this character uh, the energy that we get out of it, even if it's not just sexual, um, is, will be allowed to come through nonetheless. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is, that's something that we always need to be aware of too. When we're talking about, uh, you know, diverse casting or casting that is, um, LGBT inclusive, uh, you also have to go, I, I'm not just trying to find, uh, say, one trans person who is a good actor to play this role. I also have to find several people to play off that person with whom there is actual chemistry. Otherwise, they're going to stand there and not do much and just be a figurehead. Um, cough, cough, orange is the new black. Uh, so I think that there is something to be said for, to your point, not only how many people are involved, but how deep it goes to protect the chemistry. Uh, because if you do, then amazing things happen. But there's so many ways to to knock it out, to not have it happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. What's your favorite, like, what's your favorite casting or odd combination or who do you love watching even though it shouldn't make sense 
scripted? Sure. Or either. But sure. That's the avenue that we're in. Um, who do I love? Well, okay. I know you're going to gloat a little bit here. But on paper, I can't imagine that Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell mm-hmm. were crackly to anybody. Obviously, uh-huh. anybody who's watched The Americans is going to be like, are you crazy? This is what chemistry is. But right. It's going through the roof. Initially… Right. To me, initially, I think that that was, that was something, like, unexpected. Sure. And I would argue that I'm sure there were bigger names mm-hmm. than either of them who could have been cast in those roles, right? Yeah. But you go for the who or, oh, yeah, her, uh, because there's so much energy there uh, and trust people to find it on their own which again goes back to our earlier conversation about name versus energy behind the name. But it's an energy for, in her case too, it's an energy that uh, really up to that point in her career, we didn't associate, like, we didn't associate all the energy that she brought to that character, like how dark and complicated and um, generally not like Felicity Literally and well, characteristically. Funny that you bring that up. Funny you bring it up because uh, you are not in the Felicity rewatch that is casually happening between uh, several of our friends and on Twitter. But the overall consensus is that is the show overall, but especially the cast, is better than they needed to be. Uh, there, there are signs now. In Carrie Russell, if you look back at Felicity, where you're like, oh, I can see little sparks here and there. Uh, Famously, Jennifer Garner happened because of an essentially a one-off throwaway role that uh, J.J. Abrams really liked uh, and developed Alias uh, more or less for her. Um, So you can see bits of it. But yes, I hear you. It's not, it was not typecast. Mm -mm. It wasn't casting, I don't know. Uh, 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 who's that one I can't bear? Uh, Rooney Mara, like as uh, a spy, right? right? Where you're like, sure. That would be the obvious. But then, so it's not only the chemistry, it's the chemistry having switched what you expect, like in the past from this actor. So that for me is the one. How about you? Uh, let's see. Um, oh, sorry, because that show 100% was all chemistry between... It it doesn't work if the Jennings aren't the Jennings. It doesn't work at all if you're just watching... Otherwise, you're watching two people argue their way through a marriage and a series of horrible situations for for weeks on end. Um, I think I would say... uh, You know what I would say? I would argue that uh, the biggest chemistry win is the inclusion of Janet, the Janet character, Darcy Carden, Mm. in The Good Place. Um, The Good Place had some real strong cast uh, to begin with uh, in terms of Ted Danson, Kristen Bell. Those two have great chemistry. Anytime Kristen Bell is not required to be like a lovely princess, she's better. Um, But the Janet character, who essentially starts off as a Siri. Um, became a real 
check and balance kind of like sober second thought, but also kind of snarky, but also whatever, that rounded out several of the characters and made them more interesting to watch when, to be honest, they had started the show essentially as caricatures. And I feel like she was the show's secret weapon. She had chemistry with Ted Danson to begin Mm -hmm. with, but added to certain scenes, uh, had a long storyline with Manny Jacinto, did very well with Kristen Bell and so forth. Um, She added and elevated and gave dimension to what otherwise were kind of cartoon characters. So that's a, that's a good one for me. So the Americans, the good place um, we've brought up, like we've kind of done a tour of shows, Felicity, (laughs) Uh, the notebook. Um, I will say that I just finished this weekend. And for those of you who haven't seen it, Regina King's, one night in Miami when we're talking about chemistry um, and casting, because not only are you casting four actors who are playing Titans. I mean, we're talking about uh-huh. Muhammad Ali at the time, Cassius Clay, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown. But we're talking about a, a film that was based on a play. So most of it is set essentially in a hotel suite. So when you talk chemistry, it's not only how the four of those interact, but we've all been like out for dinner with four or five friends. And sometimes two people break off in a side conversation and three people Uh have a conversation when one person goes to the bathroom. And this film has all of those combinations, right? Two and two, one and three, three, like one, two and four. And so the chemistry, like the casting for this is like, it's wild. So watch this with, I would like watch that film with this article in mind and think about the delicate dance that's happening on so many different levels and the work that had to happen. You know, Regina King is the director, probably like set designing it to feel like a space for these actors to really like inhabit their characters. All of that was unreal. So it was a symphony. So um, let us know also what you think and what your examples of great chemistry um, and unexpected chemistry you always come back to. Absolutely. And I would say the weirder, the better. Uh, this piece includes uh, a, an anecdote about uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, about Jane Levy and Lauren Graham and Skylar Aston and Mary Steenburgen. But I'm just like, no, those are just beloved people. Everybody loves all those people in everything. Um, the counterpoint being the weirder, the better. I just started watching the flight attendant and uh, that one, Kaylee Cuoco, Rosie Perez and Zasha Mamet, not a combination I ever thought I would see, but I cannot hang up on you quick enough so that I can get up to another episode. Yeah. I've heard people like it's, it's a perfect for right now. It's like a good binge. Mm-hmm. I'm, Let us know your thoughts and what we need to to catch up on chemistry-wise. Um, while you go do that and <laughs> enjoy the scripted, I will go back to enjoying Bling Empire, um, where there is no chemistry sometimes, and that's the point. Thank you, though, for listening and for supporting our show. Don't forget to share uh, your chemistry um, highlights with us 
Any other work anecdotes? Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be back next time with more dig deeps into the work that you may have not even known was happening, but that you're happy that did. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.